This is Music Biz 101 More. I'm your professor, David Kurt Philp, and over there is... Who's that? Professor? Yeah. Yes, I am. Yes. Just trying to get my mic straight. I know, Dr. Esteban Marconi, and we're really happy that you're listening to Music Biz 101 More on Brave New Radio. Yes. The only radio station of William Patterson, the university. And we'd like you to follow us on our, our newsletter, and you can access that by going to musicbiz101wp.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and the Facebook, at musicbiz101wp. Yes. <laughs> We're also on... This is PBS. Uh, it really is. Radio. It really is. You can also... You can hear the rain. Listen to the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. On the roof. Go to musicbiz101, ampersand, more. And we're there. We should thank Ashley Weltner, our engineer. Thank you, Ashley. Yes. We're going to have a guest tonight. I'm assuming her name is pronounced Dee Dee. Dee Dee Burns. Right. Was that what D-E, capital D, little E, capital D, little E. Would you say Dee Dee? Yes, I would. Or it could be Dede. What language are we talking? (laughs) I don't know. Baby talk. Dada. Yes. But Dee Dee Burns, Director of Strategic Services for Royalty Exchange, is allegedly going to call in in one minute. Let us... Pray that that happens and that it's not a 37-minute show in which you and I just chat, which happened recently. Let's give thanks, shall we? Certainly. Hands together, heads down, eyes closed. Give thanks to the folks at Van Dyne Bruno and White Hat Management with artists like Charlie Puff, Dave Matthews, Kith. There's only one place to go for your brand's business management. Go to VB. CPA.com when you're ready. And now we want to give thanks to Christine Vey, a wealth manager and the president of Vey Wealth Management. Christine has helped many of our professionals at William Patterson University to manage their investments and plan out for their retirement. If somebody like you, not me, but you, is looking for some guidance on how to plan for your, not my, but your retirement, or if you have questions on anything, anything, literally anything from investments and portfolio management to insurance and retirement planning, you should give Christine a call at 732-455-1510. One five one zero. One could also email her should yes, one could. decide to do such a thing, and that would be Christine with a C H. Christine at Oi Vey with a V A Y Wealth dot com. Big shout out to leave s- the last oil off for savings. <laughs> for savings. That's it. Big shout out to Sprint. Ruby's Travel, based in Wayne, Columbia Bank, the Wayne, New Jersey branch. They sponsored our big '80s event which took place in April, year of our Lord, 2018. We raised over $12,000 for scholarships. Great. A lot of that was because of Ruby's travel. 
Sprint, and Columbia Bank. We should let you know Managing Your Band 6th Edition has been out for nearly a year. We're at 11 months, mm -hmm. the 11-month mark. What They'll are we going to do on the anniversary? Uh, we certainly can't buy anything. No, we can. <laughs> we'll, we'll probably sell a lot more copies of Managing Your Band 6th Edition. Go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, backwingstore.com. Yeah, we should put right out an anniversary now. edition. We could put that every year. We'll put out a new anniversary. We'll have an anniversary show. That's right. Talking all about managing your band. And by the way, people, go to Music Biz 2018 in Nashville, Tennessee, between May 14th and May 17th. Mm -hmm. That's that's that that's that's where stuff's happening. That's right. Well, we had a busy two days here. Music business wise. We did. Who was here on campus yesterday? Mark Robinson. From 300 Entertainment. Yes. Kevin Lyles, Lior Cohn, et cetera, et cetera. All the big wigs. And he was great. Mm-hmm. And uh, then today we had our visiting expert in for the last time for the year, actually. And that, of course, is... Sean Bulos, Executive Vice President. Not Senior Vice President. I got that wrong once. Executive Vice President of, of Promotion. For Atlantic Records, yes, and he was always, he always is very entertaining. Mm -hmm. Yes, and he did drop the f bomb, <laughs> claiming He's, he didn't. He spoke to one of my classes, and he did once claimed he didn't, but he did. And yes, we won't drop the f bomb on f bomb on this show because we're good people. Has our guest called in? I'm Where? looking for Dee Dee Burns. Is she available, please? I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Here, here, Didi. Nice to have you. Music Biz 101 and more, Didi Burns. Hey, Didi, I'm your professor, David Kirkfield. How are you tonight? I'm great, David. Thank you so much for having me, you guys. Thank you for filling in. We have Dr. Stephen Marconi here as yes, well. the co-host. Awesome. Hi, Steven. Thanks. Hi. We were originally going to have we were originally going to have Anthony Bruno on, and then I know he's actually on an, an airplane as we speak, and you were kind enough to come on in and tell us everything about Royalty Exchange. So we're yes. happy to have well, it's you. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Happy to fill in for him. Yeah. Great. So, what is exactly Royalty Exchange for our listeners? Yeah, good question. So, a Royalty Exchange is really a, a marketplace, a public marketplace for creators to post their royalty streams for investors who are out, who are out there looking for places to put their money. Um, and those investors can bid on that royalty stream in an open, competitive market, really driving up the value that those creators can get out of their catalogs. So a creator wants to want some cash. So they mm -hmm. find you and they yep. say, this is what we are offering and what percentage of our copyright or whatever we own that we are uh, would like to put up for auction. And does someone set then the, what happens next? Somebody does the multiples yeah, so, and so on and so forth? Yeah, so, so basically a creator will, will call in or reach out to us because they are looking for some kind of funding. Um, they want money to build a new studio, do a new project, whatever that is. And we will take a look at their royalty stream, talk about what percentage would get them to their financial goal. Um, do they want to include all their songs, some of their songs, maybe only 50%, include their writer's share, just their publisher share. Really kind of have that conversation and let the creator decide what it is they want to post. One thing that's, that's really important and different about what we do is it doesn't include the copyrights. 
So the mm-hmm. copyrights are retained by the creator. It's just that royalty stream. And, there, um, and then, go ahead. No, th- there's a time limit on it then that the, the winner of the bid would own that percentage. Yeah, so um, there's there, there's two options. You could decide, I only want to sell these royal, this royalty stream for 10 years. Or you could decide that you want to sell this royalty stream for the rest of the time that, that copyright earns royalties. Mm-hmm. And in that case, an investor for the rest of the time, the life of those, that royalty stream would collect. Um, if a creator chooses the 10-year term, 10 term, no matter what, that those works earn in that 10-year term, those works can go back to the creator at the end of 10 years. Mm-hmm. No penalties for not reaching however much they paid for it, but, yep, right. get it back. So I remember years ago, I think David Bowie was first with this securitization that I believe... Uh, the Bowie bonds. Koppelman was doing. The Bowie or, bonds. Yeah. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. few other people picked up on it. Uh, this seems like it's a. I was looking today online, and I saw that the uh, the earning percentages there was something like twelve percent a year, and so on. That these bundle of whatever one I was looking at was earning. There seemed like a a win win situation actually that uh, is being yeah. overlooked. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, it's really a great opportunity to get a much higher multiple then you might negotiate behind closed doors with mm-hmm. an individual. Um, so a lot of songwriters, you know, don't have the right contacts or their catalog may not earn enough to go negotiate with someone who would pay a certain multiple for their catalog. Mm-hmm. And in these cases, they get to just post what it is and the investors, without having to negotiate with them, get to compete to drive that multiple up. Right, through auction. Through an auction, yep. Right. So, uh, have there been any really famous copyrights or songs that have, that you've oh been my, involved with? Yeah, goodness, we've done we've done some writers that did Santana's music. We've done Muscle Shoals, a lot of country and Christian catalogs. We've done television. This week, we just. Um, did some songs from Sid the Science Kid, which is a TV cartoon mm-hmm. show. Um, it really runs the gamut. Lots of hip hop, um, mm-hmm. lots of pop. Really, any any stream of royalties. We've yeah. even even done royalty streams on stock footage photography. Anything that has royalty stream that's consistently earning. Um, it's really interesting to our investor base. Yeah. Now I saw one bid was. Uh, in the eight thousand dollar, one one the winning bid was about eight thousand dollars, and that is basically any common person could be in this mix of uh, bidding. If a winner is yeah. only going to be about eight thousand dollars and whatever, I didn't look to see what that yeah. what what they were bidding on. I think it was called so, something TV and something production, or or something. <clears throat> well, well, let's. I'll, I'll take the one that we did today. It was some music from Nappy Roots um, that finished out, and it the last twelve months of earnings was um, almost nineteen hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. We started that auction off at um, seven thousand nine hundred, and it ended today. The winning bid was thirteen thousand one hundred. Wow! Um, a really great 
multiple of over six for someone who last year only earned um, $1,900. So it's a great opportunity to raise some money. And now this, you know, the person who sold this can go out and build that new studio or put a down payment on the house or whatever, whatever it is that their financial goal they're trying to get to. And this is a great way for, well, I guess, let me, let, before I bring up that comment, uh, you mentioned your investor base. So who who is your investor base? Could it be anybody as long as you have whatever the, the, the winning bid is? Yeah, we, as long as you've got the money to purchase it, then you, you can participate. We do do a little due diligence, small bit of due diligence on our investors to make sure that they can afford um, to to participate, but we have on our platform about 20,000 investors um, who have expressed interest and, you know, get our posts about when these are going up and participating. In today's auction, for instance, we had about 32 individuals who were watching the auction, um, 31 individuals who watched the auction and were interested in potentially bidding. So um, each one gets its a certain number of people super interested, but we do have a large group of investors mm-hmm. um, who are looking for this kind of stream of royalty that's not tied to the stock market, but something that's consistent. And as as we know, we're seeing we're starting to see growth back again in the music industry. So with streaming and streaming rates increasing, um, and some more of these rights being paid for, there there is growth. So we had seen for so long seeing the record industry kind of tank. It's, it's going going back up, which is super interesting to these investors. Are, they, are these mostly individuals, or are you seeing hmm. any companies that are doing this? For example, like um, ah. who is Larry Mistel is with uh, Primary Wave, like a Primary Wave music, you know, a sort of publisher. Are are, are you seeing established companies yeah. doing that too? Not not like a, not like a primary wave where they're really focused on the music industry, but we are seeing a lot of. Um, Funds who are looking to diversify mm-hmm. their fu- their group, purchasing several of these these uh, catalogs to include in their funds. Mm-hmm. Um, individuals as well participate. So it kind of runs all over the place in terms of who's interested. We do have some people who are in the music industry who will bid and and participate and win, um, and some people who know very little about the royalty streams. So mm-hmm. we do try to do a lot of education at the front for those investors. It's a, obviously, we all know a very complex business, um, but providing as much information as we can in the auction. And then afterwards, that auction is going to stay um, on our website as another, as another uh, public-facing piece mm-hmm. of information for other artists to use. So if, if I'm a songwriter and my music is like Nappy Roots' music, I could say, gosh, look, they, this is how much they earned. I can anticipate to potentially get about that much. And whether I decide to do an auction with royalty exchange or go negotiate something else, I've got some good benchmarks to go after. Where else? There's no place, other place, really, in the music industry where people are saying how much they're giving people advances. Um, it's not usually kept very private. And in this case, it's all out in the open. Mm-hmm. And I suspect in the royalty exchange takes a percentage of the hammer price. I mean, we do. We take, yeah, we, we take a percentage fee um, from, from the sale. 
and mm. then the rest goes to the creator, and that's it. Um, there's no so so actually, royalty exchange as a business itself is going to make more money when a creator makes more money. So it's in our in our best interest to keep that marketplace really healthy with some great investors who are looking to get that market market price up for those catalogs as much as possible. Yeah. Which at the end helps the creator. Usually you'll have an advanced company that has a fund and they're in some ways negotiating against the artist because the artist, the more money that they pay to that fund, the more money that that company is going to make. And so the creator at the, really ends up losing out because they've paid so much in interest. They've paid so much in penalties or yeah, fees. Yeah. And in this situation, they, they get the full benefit of that minus our operating costs there right. at the top. Mm-hmm. Now, is a creator allowed to put a reserve on the, on the bid? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we, we have a, we have a pretty good structure of where we recommend that our creators start their auctions. Um, just related to the experience that we've seen in on the platform, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and 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 you know that that can be part of discussion. But we do try to stick to that formula because it works really well for people. Mm-hmm. So you are director of strategic services. Uh, yes, I am. Okay, so now <laughs> we <am>. are. Here's <laughs> another. <laughs> so we have to figure out, or you can tell us, what do you do? Well, I um, I worked at ASCAP for about 12 years mm-hmm. um, and moved to Colorado, where Royalty Exchange is based now, and um, came back into the music industry after working at ASCAP. Um, and really, when I talk about strategic services, it's, it's about understanding the overall strategy of Royalty Exchange and helping to direct and support that, continuing that mission of getting most money we can for our creators and also just building good relationships with the rest of the industry. Um, having worked at ASCAP, I didn't really understand what royalty exchange was doing or how the platform worked. So I really want to make sure that other people like me at ASCAP and the other PROs, BMI and CPAC and all the music publishers in the industry understand what we're doing and how it really does benefit their creators, their artists, their songwriters, um, and that at the end of the day, it's putting more money back in the music industry rather than just churning the same money over and over again. And um, it's a, it's just a really it's a really great model that's really fair for the artists and something I care very deeply about is making sure that these artists aren't being taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the other side of it, it, strategic services is also about providing a great user experience for our creators. And so I'm, I really advocate for it, for them feeling very comfortable with the way the platform is working, that their experience with our technology is, is good, and we continue to iterate and work on that every day. So, yeah. Is there a, uh, do you go out, or is there a, a method with Royalty Exchange that you go out and you seek creators that want, um, you know, that want to do this? We, we do do some marketing um, on social platforms, and we get a lot of referral business as well, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Last year, 64% of our business was related to referrals or it was someone who was repeating, coming back and selling another portion of their catalog. 
So people are very happy with the way it works. They want to tell their friends, and that's another piece of it. And then the last part, and I'm sure many people who have been on the podcast before and, and you both know that this industry is very much about relationships. So it's about building trust in the industry, both with those influencers of songwriters and creators, their music publishers, their PRO representatives, making sure that they know that royalty exchange is on the good side of the funding business. Mm-hmm. And so we've just been out there making sure that people understand how we work. Um, and we'll continue to do more of that. We really want to educate songwriters, educate artists about how they can, in a public market, get a much higher value for their work. Um, and one of the great things that we're um, about to launch is this new valuation tool on our website mm-hmm. where you can go and actually for free upload all of your statements and get kind of an estimate of what your earnings could potentially be worth on the royalty exchange platform. And then what you do with that afterwards is really up to you. If you want to work with royalty exchange and do an auction, you could do that. Or maybe someone takes that to their publisher or to another um, funding opportunity and say, you know, this is what I can get there. What can you offer me? Now that there's much more power in the creator's hands because they have this, um, publicly available tool to value their catalog. So is, uh, do you have competition? I mean, does any other company do the auction model? There, there aren't any that I, that are doing it in the volume that we've done it. Um, I, there's a lot of advanced companies that are, that are doing something sort of similar, but it's based on an advanced fund that they have where, um, but it's not like an auction the way ours is set mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. Is there a genre of music that sells best? I'm looking at some things that have been up before, and yeah. you, know, you mentioned um, hip hop. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of hip hop. There's uh, Jeezy, Rick Ross. There's some other stuff with Rick Ross and Drake. Some other hip hop mm-hmm. that was. Uh, and these auctions are closed, but featuring Timbaland and Drake, is is hip hop. Yeah the leading genre for you or but meanwhile there was a, a grateful dead auction you guys did yes. where um yeah. and you and you could talk about what's it called peer uh peer advances, advances. you can kind of sure. talk about that so genre and what is peer advances and that's the grateful dead thing yeah you know it's interesting for genre it re- it really more depends on the earning history of the catalog is it consistently earning is it growing is it shrinking those are things that I see our investors focused on. Now, there's certain things like the Grateful Dead, where an investor who loves the Grateful Dead is obviously going to pay a higher price point for that. Um, but we've had a lot of great success in the Christian and gospel music markets. We've had great success with country. Um, so really, across the board, it's all doing really great. We've had a lot of uh, writers that write for television and music libraries do really well. Um, there's there's not really been one genre that does poorly. It's it's it, across the board, just really dependent on the earnings history of the catalog. What's interesting, I would think, just because of the structure of music today, hip hop and pop, you have these. Because I remember I'm going back uh, a couple months ago. Because I get um, on my computer, I get. Uh, I signed up for a royalty exchange back in, I guess, September. 
so oh, I get awesome. these yeah. uh, these uh, updates, you know, that pop up. Right. Uh, forget yeah. what you call the thing. Mm-hmm. And um, and I remember Wiz Khalifa had seen you again, and a writer on that mm. song was offering his whatever percentage of it, and it might have been just through uh, the prose. But um, I, I was just thinking that you have so many writers on an individual song now. You'll have six people who wrote were a writer. Um, maybe two main writers, but you'll get these people who own like 3% of a song or 8% of a song. And here's their way of maximizing their revenue from that song, especially once it's no longer a hit. Yeah, exactly. And and the thing is, is that, you know, maybe they've, they've written five of those songs where they've gotten a small percentage, but it does add up. And especially with streaming now, where fans can continue to listen to those catalog works instead of, them being on radio and then dropping off um, a playlist, they're, they they have a longer life. Um, though it, today it might be a less valuable life, it's still a longer life stream of royalties. Um, and I think we all continue to see that grow as the rates go up and are negotiated in a higher manner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we didn't define the peer... Peer advances. Yeah, peer so the, uh, the peer advance, we've, we've done a handful of peer advances, um, I think less than 10. But with a peer advance, this is for a creator who's not fully comfortable going out into the auction platform and um, doing a full competitive bid, but they have a really strong um, need for an amount of money that might be worth maybe one or two times what they earned in the last year. And we'll post that. And an investor can say, "Oh, I'll, I'll take that," and you know they'll pay, a, they'll they'll earn back a certain percentage over um, what the creator needed, and that the creator actually gets to set what that price is. So I'm willing to take, um, I'm willing to get an advance for fifteen thousand dollars, and I'll pay back sixteen or seventeen thousand dollars. And if the investor agrees to that, then they'll they'll purchase those. Uh. Yeah, for example, in this, the Grateful Dead one, which ultimately mm. went for uh, $135,300, and the repayment yeah. amount was $180,000. I guess what the uh, offer was, in this case, the investor will pay $135,300 for the right to collect the first $45,000 of the owner's share of royalty income each year for basically four years until the investor receives a total of $180,000. That's right. Yeah. Okay. And in that one, you know, the creator was, was really adamant, you know, if, if it makes over 4,500, I really need to get the rest of that stream of royalties. And um, so that's how that's worked out. And it's worked out really great um, for both in that situation. You know, one of the things that's really great about what we've been doing on the auction platform, especially with this new 10 year term advance, is any new work that you um, write when you do the auction side of it, so either the term advance or for the life of the royalty stream, anything that's new or any portion that you didn't sell, you continue to earn on those as a creator. So yes. unlike an, a traditional advance where all of your futures and all of your all of your all of your current royalties go to pay off that advance, you're not you're not having to worry about that. You're still getting a, a stream of royalties. Yeah. Um, on any of your new or unsold. Right. Work. Now, what happens, going back to the dead example, what mm-hmm. happens if he doesn't earn the 180000 Anything? Well, no, it just it just continues to pay off until it pays off that one eighty. 
Oh, so it can go beyond yeah. the four years? Mm, I believe so. Mm-hmm. That, that one I'd have to look at. I, I, I don't recall. But in, like in the last one, we, the last three that we've done um, that I've worked on, they're, they're just based on a repayment plan. And, I mean, they're, they're really set at an amount that's very easily going to pay off. And for, for the Grateful Dead one, there hasn't been a year yet um, that we foresee. The first year definitely got to the 4500 and um, this year we'll definitely get there as well. So if we're going out the four years for 180 and you paid mm-hmm. 135 you can actually then tell them what the percentage uh, the money yes. is going to make. Yeah, there's no yeah, there's no question on that one for sure for the investor. That's, that's far less risky for the investor than, say, the auction where there's no guarantee on what you're going to earn. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, yeah. Is there are there um, examples that you don't take that you pass on? Do uh, I guess because they're not earning, or how does that work? If I would call yeah, you, so and for, I, go ahead. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, for our particular platform, and there are other, there are other people in the industry who will do this if you're not earning. But um, we are our investors are looking for a history of earnings. Um, you know, that it's a little riskier for them if it's a younger catalog. If it's an older catalog, there's far less risk. Um, there are other funding platforms out there like Pledge Music, LiveAmp, um, several others, but those are um, some of the ones that I've seen work really well where, where they will fund future projects. So that's less about their historical work mm-hmm. and more about their future work. But that's not what we're focused on, yes, at I least know. today. Yeah, I know there was um, Paul Stanley did some of that on future earnings of songs uh, from the that he wrote for Kiss. Uh, yeah, he, he did it on the future earnings. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yep. I guess we have and, a tweet. and that and a lot. Yeah, and a lot of advances are are structured that way. They're they're making a bet on what your future works will be like. Mm-hmm. Um, where this is just just historical that role of the exchange. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we have a, a student who tweeted in a question, and uh, our engineer and, and extraordinary human being, Ashley, is going to read this to you. Awesome. Thanks, Ashley. <laughs> All right. This is a question from Henrik. Are investors only interested in buying rights to music that is already making money? Do they ever buy rights to music that requires promotion to make money? Hmm. So, so that's a, that's a that's a great question, and I and I kind of answered it previously. But mm-hmm. the investors working with royalty exchange, they're looking for right the royalty stream and right to collect for that music that's already making money. But now, think about that creator who's been making money. Now they get to take that lump sum of money and go promote their new album that they get to collect on on their own, or go. Get, have enough money to go to the recording studio to record a new project. Mm-hmm. So um, there, there is a way that that model works that they're able then to go and make new music. But someone who's never earned and is not having any earnings, World Exchange not isn't really the right funding platform for that type of writer mm-hmm. or creator. I, th- I think he's also talking about the buyer in this case. Uh, are people buying yeah. thinking, 
I'm going to buy this, but I know I'm going to, it's almost like a fixer upper. I know I'm, I'm going to have to put some work in to really maximize. They might look at this as an undervalued asset. How about that? I'll see a song, whatever song it is, or this catalog. And I'll think, I bet I can get some extra sync licensing out of this. I bet I can do, uh, I'm trying to think of other opportunities, you know, a few other opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm going to put a lot of extra work so that instead of getting you know, whatever the projected return is, I want to double that. Or, uh, I, I guess are people do you see people doing that who are actually the buyers? We we have had some people who are interested in that. Now remember that these investors are purchasing just the royalty streams; they have no rights to the copyright. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all, all of the getting a new sync license or anything like that will still have to go back to the copyright owner for that approval and that initial sync payment. But they might get the benefit of those back-end royalties, of performance royalties through ASCAP or record sales in the future. Um, so certainly we have had a handful, but I will say a small handful of investors who are interested in participating in working a catalog. But most of our investors are looking for a passive stream of earnings that's going to come through to them, whether that's quarterly or monthly or biannually, that they'll see um, an increase in over the life of that royalty stream, whether it's that 10-year term deal or for the rest of the life of that royalty. Mm-hmm. Okay, Does that's that good. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense because as, as you're talking, uh, I... Yeah, I was thinking the, the the word passive, and you use that. It's really, mm-hmm. in this case, yes, because they don't own the copyright, so it is. It's a passive exactly. return. It right. is passive, and 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 one thing that we do try and do is make sure that there's there is still someone out there who, whether it's the publisher or because the writer still has a portion of those works, that they're still interested in continuing to work that catalog and see growth and um, out of it. So we rarely would would ever sell the entire interest in the work because of that reason okay we have a uh would love to read another tweet to you if you are accepting of the of the challenge yeah let's do it all right i've seen some of these questions come through and they're great so okay this is from mariella in an interview you said royalty exchange is changing the game by financially empower financially empowering songwriters who are the songwriters you're talking about pop indie or jazz which we kind of talked about genre earlier, but you yeah. can get a little bit deeper if you want. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but really changing the game by financially empowering songwriters. I'm, I'm really going to kind of start and talk about my history at ASCAP because I, I spent the last 12, 13 years working directly with songwriters, really focused on making sure that songwriters were getting as much money in their pockets as possible from their performing rights. And it was a very... I'm very passionate about that and passionate about protecting them as well because a lot of what ASCAP does is making sure that that royalty stream goes to the songwriters, that they're getting the benefit of that where otherwise they're not repaying advances to other people like their publisher or their record label. Um, This is really where that stream comes through to them. So when I started to investigate what Royalty Exchange was doing before I came on board, I realized that this was an opportunity that really was a fair shake for a songwriter. Um, and I've, and I've really, um, pressed and asked a lot of questions of our, of our senior leaders here that, um, to ensure that, that that's the focus of what we do at, at Royalty Exchange, that these creators are empowered to get the best deal 
for their catalog so that they can then write new music or do a new project or develop some kind of, of new thing that, that brings them um, a sense of accomplishment. And they feel like they've gotten fair value and they weren't shook in a negotiation um, to, to get the lowest possible value. Rather, they feel that they got the highest possible value because they've been in a public market and they get to see people compete for them. Now, is the makeup of royalty exchange a bunch of uh, finance and accountant guys with the plastic <laughs> pen holder in their pockets? Oh, I love it. <laughs> None of them have a plastic pen holder in their pockets. Ah. We, we, we have a team of incredibly intelligent, kind, um, ethical finance guys. Mm -hmm. And we have a few of us uh, music industry folks as well. And just really a group of incredibly impassioned people who care a lot about transparency and care a lot about people getting a fair shake in the world and seeing some of the bad deals that songwriters were having to get into to raise money really um, has impassioned this entire group to build a marketplace that gets them that, that fair value. Mm -hmm. Now, um, you brought up ASCAP, and I think uh, you were with ASCAP for uh, with a with a little break when you went to Warner Chapel. But you were there from '04 through uh, '16, so you were there for about 10, 11 years. Um, we do have a comment or sort of a question from another tweet about ASCAP, and maybe we can talk to you for a second about ASCAP if that's okay. Sure. Yeah. This is a question from Amanda. ASCAP reached a new high, paying songwriters a total of over $1 billion in 2017. Is this a result of awareness slash more venues contracting and actually playing music legally, or were there other factors involved? Well, I can't totally speak to what, you know, what, what everything that rolled up into that, but I do know that a lot of it has to do with their amazing team of people out there getting licensing, and that is making sure people are playing music legally, but also working really hard to build strong relationships um, with some of these streaming music providers to get a more fair rate out of them um, so, that, so that you're seeing those streaming royalties increase. I know that has a lot to do with it. And another huge factor is that ASCAP is very committed to keeping a very low operating cost. I think they reported in the um, article that I saw go out about that um, over $1 billion to songwriters that their operating costs um, had reduced to 12%, which is really amazing. And for any not-for-profit organization, 12% is really an unheard of um, operating expense. And consider that ASCAP is processing a trillion performances every year um, and keeping those costs down at 12% so that as much money as possible that's collected goes back into the um, pockets of those songwriters and their publishers. Yeah. I'm an ASCAP member, but I always uh, suggest people to, when they're in Nashville to use the men's and the ladies' rooms at ASCAP in Nashville because <laughs> they are they unbelievable. Are they're incredible. <laughs> I know. <laughs> there are I'm some serious. amazing buildings yeah. there in Nashville, no doubt. Yeah. And ASCAP's definitely got one of them. Yeah. Uh, we're going to Nashville in three weeks, so you're going to have to give me a tour. Yes. I'm looking, looking forward to that, or at definitely. least just the men's room. That's all you'll need. <laughs> well, I'll put on my wig and maybe we can go yes. to the laser. What, what is it about 
ASCAP from your perspective as you were there, what are maybe two or three things that you think um, were the most misunderstood parts of what ASCAP does, either from artist, you know, write, songwriter, publisher, artist manager perspectives? Well, I think a lot of early songwriters uh, don't understand that ASCAP is not a publisher. So understanding that they're what performing rights is in general and that, you know, what royalties you're getting out of your PRO um, and then how that relates to who your publisher is and what your publisher can do for you. Um, there is a lot of artist development that uh, ASCAP um, has kind of stepped in to do as, as those development deals have kind of um, shrunk um, outside the rest of the industry. But, you know, they're, they're really mostly focused on collecting those performing rights royalties from people who are um, performing music publicly, whether that's streaming, whether that's, you know, on television, whether that's a, a bar that you play at. Um, that's the focus and processing those performances and paying you your share of that. Um, so wherever we can educate songwriters and artists about the differences between that and making sure they also know the other royalty streams that they can collect on, making sure that an artist is part of sound exchange so they can get those royalties, making sure that if, you know, they're, they're getting record label royalties that they're, they're making sure that um, all of that is registered with all of the right people um, to get those streams. Mm -hmm. And you were VP of global member and society services. What 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 was that? <laughs> you, you have the best titles, by so, the way. Uh, uh, thank you. I, I'm going to tell you that that my title before that was strategic services. I may have stolen that and moved it to Royalty Exchange as well. Nice. Um, so, and, and a big part of what ASCAP does is it collects its, the international royalties from other primary, performing rights organizations outside the U.S. And so, for a songwriter who has their music performed on radio in the U.K that money comes over to ASCAP and then ASCAP or BMI or CSAC, whomever they're affiliated with, distribute, distributes that money from the UK to the songwriters um, on record in the US. So the other part is true. So a UK artist has music performed in the United States and ASCAP pays that money through to the UK PRO, um, which is called the PRS. And so there's a relationship required, just like everything in this business, between those two PROs and answering those questions and providing service and support um, for explaining why royalties are a certain way or why you didn't get paid or why you got paid this much. Those were parts of what I did in, in the global services team. Had an amazing team um, who handled the, the societies and then another group that spread across Nashville, Los Angeles, and New York, um, who handle just the writer and publisher members here in the United States. And those guys answer the 1-800 line at ASCAP, so that's 1-800-95-ASCAP. So if you have questions, um, you know, make sure you have your call and you're, you're routed um, as quickly as possible to someone to help you navigate any of those ASCAP-related questions you have, and even other PRO-related questions that come up. You know, reach out to them, and they can direct you in the right right way was ASCAP when while you were there collecting were you seeing quite a bit from YouTube hmm uh, not a ton from YouTube but I know that those I know that that those royalty payments are increasing so I I, I know they have had a new deal with YouTube recently and um, it looks like that is me has 
meant um, more royalties on YouTube performances. I've seen that in the statements that we're reviewing here at Royalty Exchange. So um, from what I can share, it's just it's just about those statements that we're seeing at Royalty Exchange that YouTube streaming um, is increasing in value, which is good. Yeah, and we saw on your website today one of the, uh, it was either the comment section or whatever, but one of the blogs uh, talked about the um, Wolfgang's vault and how Wolfgang's vault was getting away with uh, not paying anyone. And it became a concert vault because they sort of got caught. But there was, there was still a loophole because they were putting out Bill Graham's basically soundtracks of audio visual things that that he that was in the vault and uh the law was was that was the getting around the law because although they had to pay their statutory rate on tracks uh they didn't have to pay on tracks that were originally audio visual tapes or whatever and that just came up and it was it was on your website and it's basically related to what we're talking about here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it it really comes it really comes down to cover anyone who's using music and anywhere music is used. Make sure that you know if you're developing an app that's going to have music in it. Make sure that you're getting the license. The PROs have made it very easy to get a license to perform pub music publicly. Um, so you can, if you're developing a new app or you're going to have a website that has music hosted on it, you can go to their website, see what the cost of that would be and know, build that into your budget as you're developing something new that might have music in it. And so, um, I do encourage any people on the tech side who are interested in getting into the music space to make sure that they cover all of those rights and, um, ensure that they're getting the creators whose work that they're using to earn money. Um, fairly compensated for that use. Are we allowed to bring up royalty flow? Do you, can you speak at all about royalty flow, which was uh, big in the news about six months ago when Eminem was going to uh, sell, I guess, uh, a portion of his of his copyrights through uh, a, a subsidiary of Royalty Exchange, which was Royalty Flow. Is is that anything you're allowed to speak about? Yeah, I can, I can, I'm, I'm happy to speak about what, what I, I know about it. Um, so when it wasn't, it wasn't Eminem, it was two producers that worked on Eminem's records. They were selling their interest in mm, that catalog. Okay. And um, Royalty Exchange still has, still has that catalog. Um, but what Royalty Flow was going to do was set it up on, a, on a NASDAQ, which is awesome. Um, and super interesting. It's, it's, I think it really would have got a lot of traction. Um, but what happened is just with the way that those types of filings happen, they're called Regulation A, um, some some bad players on that side of the industry, uh, in Reg A um, got the attention of the, of the SEC, and so they um, kind of put the kibosh on anyone moving forward. So at the last final hour, really four days before we were to go public on NASDAQ, our approval from NASDAQ was pulled. Um, our CEO, Matt Smith, wrote a really great post about it. And anyone who's been interested in, in that kind of the, side, the IPO side of things should really read it. Anyone who's 
interested in Regulation A filings should really read it. It's on Medium, um, and you really can't miss it if you search for Matt Smith on Medium. But So right now, Royalty Flow is, is no longer, um, but Royalty Exchange continues strong, and, and we're growing, and I, 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 really, I really do see that as we get the word out there um, on the great opportunity for funding new projects that we can offer um, and connecting creators to investors that, that will continue to see really marked growth here. Okay. And, and what did you say to search for on Medium? It is um, – how would I do this? I'll, I'll send you over a link and you could share it with yeah. the audience. That would be interesting yeah. just as, as a follow-up for people to check out. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's really, really well written. And, and there's, a, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on with those Reg A filings. Um, so if someone is interested in that, I definitely encourage you to do be- that. Because that was a really hot topic back mm-hmm. in uh, September, October for about two weeks. Like I teach a personal management class, and we actually spent quite a bit of time talking about what what that meant. And, and you're right, the two producers uh, who had worked with Eminem in the beginning were selling, I guess, 25% of their rights, of their holdings in Eminem's song catalog. And... Um, and in terms of revenue streams and and what that meant for the future of of music and all that kind of stuff, so uh, that would be interesting. So that'd be great if you could. So how did yeah. you uh, get interested in all of this? How did I get interested in royalty exchange or the music business in general? Well, no, <laughs> I could see people, of course, getting interested in the music business, but this side sure. of it, which seems to be basically a finance side, uh, sure, and and. I'm looking at it really as a win-win for both sides, both the creator and someone who doesn't overpay has a, a good chance of making some substantial percentage on their money that they wouldn't make at a bank. Yeah, well, I was I was interested in it mostly because I had left the industry um, for about a year and moved to Colorado, which is where my family's from. I grew up here, so mm-hmm. um, we were just making a family change and um, I saw a job post and I didn't realize Royalty Exchange had um, relaunched here in Denver and I started researching it and mostly just through the website and through the mission that's posted on the website realized how committed they were to the creators, supporting the creators to get the best uh, value out of their catalog. and. Working at ASCAP, I had seen a lot of people have to do these really, really bad deals. I mean, there there were advances where the interest rate was 41%, somewhere you were getting only a quarter's worth of earnings for 25%, mm-hmm. which is really egregious interest rates and really unfair. I mean, and, and this cycle, this really becomes a cycle of debt because they're having to pay so much money to get these advances and continue um, trying to make a living. And when I had the opportunity to learn more about it, I just, I had to be a part of it because I care so much about songwriters getting um, uh, a fair shake in in the industry. And so um, I was really excited to be able to join and, and, and bring my experience from working so closely with our songwriters at ASCAP um, to the team. So. Okay, quick uh, f- final yeah. question, and this is one final tweet for you, and it's uh, for those okay. listening, especially college people. This is from <laughs> Jeff. Do you have any advice for a college grad looking to climb the ladder like you did at ASCAP? 
Oh, I really appreciate that question, Jeff. Um, one one thing that I have always aspired to is just working really hard and building good relationships, and that's good relationships with my colleagues on on the same level, but also really good relationships with my manager. And I got really great advice at the beginning from, um, I'm gonna, I'll name him Andrew Rodriguez from ASCAP, who works in repertory, and he, he taught me to learn to manage my manager. So how can I anticipate the questions that are gonna be asked of me? And then you start to realize that by learning to anticipate what people need from you, you start to provide really excellent service. And so they wanna come back and work with you more. Um, and that kind of meant that I got to build really great relationships with my colleagues at ASCAP, but also really great relationships with ASCAP's members. And so when I moved to LA and I got my job at Warner Chapel Music Publishing, that was really because I had built a great relationship with them as an ASCAP member. Um, and then when I back, went back to the ASCAP LA office, it was because I had built a great relationship with the head of the office there while I was in New York. Um, so. Everyone will tell you this is a relationship business and it's true and it's about, you know, not compromising on, on doing really great work. Mm -hmm. yeah. well, that, well that's, said. Yeah. That's the perfect answer. So, Dee Dee Burns, we, we need to thank you. So, let us thank you. Thank you. Yes. Oh, it was absolutely Very interesting. Thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah, we appreciate it. And you called right, called in right on time, and that made us Perfect. very happy. And um, you did an excellent job. So one more final clap for Dee Burns from Royalty Exchange. Thank you so much for calling in. We really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. Have, -bye. Have a good night. All right. Bye-bye. And so we should let people know that next week on our show, I am can't be more excited than I am. Maybe my favorite guest potentially of all time for our show. Um, Jonathan Kane, the keyboardist, songwriter, piano player from Journey, mm -hmm. is going to be our guest. Did he write any famous songs for Journey? No. But, um, yes. Well, he, like he wrote what? Faithfully, <gasps> Open Arms, mm. and uh, he was involved in quite, as soon as he joined with the Escape album, then um, it really, and he's still in the band. Steve Perry is not in the band. So Did, did uh, he have anything to do with Don't Stop don't Stop Believing. I guess he had something oh, to do with that. Did he really? Quite sick of that song. But yes. Ah. And joining us in the studio allegedly will be Rob Fusari. Oh, Grammy winner, right. piano player Rob Fusari and number Great. one hit maker. So in so. case John doesn't call in. Yeah, that's we right. We, we will, we'll have Rob. Sorry, we could talk about Journey with Rob. So uh, that's great. So that's next week. So we want to thank everybody for listening to Music Because 101 and more on Brave New Radio. At the end of your show, oh, uh, Ashley Weltner, thank you very much. Yes. Dr. Esteban, thank you very much. And my co-host. Thank me very much. Yes. At the end of every show, we do not say hello. That's silly. Instead, at the end of every show, we say... Adios! I'll have